the known universe with its heroes and marvels. But what of the darkness? In our modern world, this is where monsters dwell. Welcome, Tomb Believers, to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel podcast. My name is James Hickson, and with me, as always, is a man that some scientists believe may be the missing link between modern podcasters and our ancient primate ancestors. That's right, of course, I'm talking about the man, the myth, the possible hoax perpetrated by uh, publicity-hungry podcasters like myself, Trey Lawson. Ook, ook. You see that, folks? He drives me bananas. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I, well, I was going to say that might be enough monkeying around. But is it, James? Is it actually enough monkeying around? Well, it better be, Trey, because this is actually our last episode of a little thing we're calling The March of the Apes. Sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! And Trey, it's it's a grab bag episode. Oh yeah, we love the grab bag episodes. I look forward to the grab bag episodes because you always get a variety of stuff. And I'd say that this time around, we've got an impressive spread of comics in terms of each one being different than the last. Oh no! It, it's it's definitely a, a grab bag on this one. Um, we are looking at Hit Monkey number one. That is from 2010. Uh, we are looking at Defenders number 21 from 1975, and What If number nine from 1978. What if the Avengers had fought during the 1950s and? Trey, I'm very excited for one of these titles. <laughs> That's fair enough. I I think I am more keen on another one than you are. Okay. But, but you know, two I'm out of three. I'm not sure which bad. one that is. <laughs> See, now we've got a mystery. That's right. Uh, yeah. But I, I think, at the very least, discussing these three comics will be a good time. Perhaps oh, more yeah. fun than a barrel of monkeys. You're very welcome. I'm not grateful. I'm (laughs) not grateful. You know, we're not doing a theme month ever ever again. (laughs) Except I look at the schedule and yes, we are. Right, right. So many. We we will do theme months. And I will will spend hours upon hours writing down as many puns related to that theme as I can. You see... I'm not clever enough to come up with puns, so it is probably best that you are here, I guess. <laughs> I but mean, I watch Spinguli for the puns. That, that's fair. 
<laughs> that's, that's, that's fair. But we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, in which case you'll probably hear some advertisements. And when we come back, we're looking at hit monkey number one, right after these messages. Lift up 12 monkeys in a chain and you're the champ. Nothing's more fun than a barrel of monkeys. It came from the depths of space, leaving death and destruction in its wake. It is called the Sun Eater because it eats suns. It, it, it's kind of in the name. It has latched on to the sun, robbing the Earth of its life-giving heat and light. The heroes of the DC Universe have banded together with the greatest scientific minds in the world to stop the monster as the world begins to freeze. If they fail to stop the Sun Eater, the Earth and the rest of the solar system will see their final night. Hello there, I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And I'm Michael Bailey. We're the hosts of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. We cover the Superman books that came out between 1986 and 2006, and we finally reached the end of our cover date, 1996, which means we have gotten to the final night. Because this is one of the better crossovers that DC has published, Jeff and I thought that it would be fun to treat this like the event it is, and break up our coverage over four episodes. For those four episodes, we'll be covering the main series, issue by issue, as well as the Superman book that came out the same week. We'll also be taking briefer looks at the other crossover books to give Final Night the treatment it deserves. And if you're hearing this, that means all of the episodes are edited and ready to go, so it will be coming out on a weekly basis. Seriously? Yes, seriously. They're all edited? Y yes, Jeff, they are. Edited and ready to go? Yes, Jeff, th they are ready to go. Wow, that is surprising. Starting on March 30th... I mean, really surprising. <sighs> starting on March 30th... <laughs> really, really surprising. Starting on March 30th... I, mean, I can hardly believe... Jeff, for the love of God, would you shut the f*** up and let me finish this? Yes, the episodes are done. Edited. Ready to go. Unless something prevents me from posting the XML files, the listeners will get a new episode every Thursday, starting on March 30th, 2023. We're even going to follow it up with an Elsewhere slash Meanwhile episode the week after the final episode, so we can go through the normal features we usually do during our coverage of a cover month. Okay. Sorry. I was kind of shocked is all. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure everyone is. But it's happening, so let's move along. Can I tell people they can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Audible, and Spotify? Sure. And that the home for the show is www.fortressofbailey2.com? Yes, and that it is part of the Fortress of Bailey 2 podcasting network. Cool. Well, you know, the sun is out. You really have to meditate.
Welcome back to Unbelievers. Our first issue this episode is Hit Monkey number one. Cover date on this one is April 2010. Writer is Daniel Way. Art, and I apologize for the artist here, Dalabor Talij. Talijic? Talijic? Colors, Matt Hollingsworth. Letter is Jeff Eckleberry. Cover is Frank Cho. And this comic originally appeared on Marvel Digital Comics. An assassin is wounded while facing off some evil army guys. He manages to escape with some cleverly planted explosives and wanders into the hills where he is rescued by some Hot Springs monkeys. The Hot Springs monkeys love him except for one who thinks he is no good and a danger to the tribe. The suspicious monkey observes the man training for the confrontation he knows is coming and learns all kinds of fancy kung fu moves from him. Uh, He then tries to convince the rest of the tribe that the human is no good. When they refuse to believe him, he lashes out with the same kung fu moves he'd watched the human do before. Exiled from the tribe, he sees men coming up the mountainside. They are more evil army guys here to kill the assassin. They corner the assassin at the hot springs and gun him down. And then they gun down the rest of the monkey tribe. As they are about to shoot the last of the monkeys, um, one of the evil army dudes' head explodes because the exiled monkey now has guns and proceeds to blow the ever-living crap out of the army dudes. And Hitmonkey is born. So, um, not a lot happens in this issue. Is this the least offensive Frank Cho cover ever? Um, you may have something there. (laughs) Like, there's no objectification, there's no, like, weird physics or proportions. (laughs) Yeah, that makes, yeah, that it may be the least offensive Frank Cho cover ever. Yeah, so, yes, not a lot happens. I think partly that is because this was a little bit of an experiment, right? It is uh, one of Marvel's early forays into digital comics. Like yes. It was released digital first as a one-shot, and then later uh, was released in print. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, they kind of give... They, they make a pretty strong pitch here or Hitmonkey as a new Marvel character because all it, what, what you had was uh, the one-shot released digitally, then it came out in print, and the same month that it came out in print, he was featured in a three-issue story arc in Deadpool. And then that led to a, a three-issue miniseries of his own. So there is uh, something to be said for them making this not even slow build, actually pretty fast build up to uh, Hitmonkey being a part of the Marvel Universe. So this is not the character's first appearance. It is. It is. Uh, he, he appeared in this digital comic. Then like a week later, the digital comic was released in print. And then the same month as the one shot, he was in a three issue story arc in Deadpool. Oh, OK, so I thought he appeared in Deadpool first and then... I think the dates on the print editions get wonky, but uh, the the digital edition of Hitmonkey number one was the first. It's first to know, first to know. Okay. Um, and it, it is kind of like I mean, this is the first act of 
like pick a, a martial arts movie, right? Uh, person on the run, uh, chased by killers. The reluctant warrior is sort of uh, left dealing with the fallout, seeking revenge for what happens. Um, also, for what it's worth, Hitmonkey was one of the other Hulu Marvel shows to actually get a season released, besides Hellstrom and uh, Modoc. Yeah, I was going to watch some Hitmonkey uh, to help us prepare for this episode, and um, I ended up watching Poker Face with my wife instead. Fair enough. Although, I will say, episode one is almost panel for panel this comic. Interesting. Except the, the assassin, the wounded assassin who inadvertently trains Hitmonkey, uh, is played by Jason Sudeikis. Okay. And he continues appearing beyond the first episode. As, like, hallucination mentor or ghost? Um, Hitmonkey is haunted by his ghost. Okay. You know, honestly, as much as I bemoan the craziness of this, I don't hate this. It's this fun. Is... There's not there's not a lot of substance to it. You're right about that. No. But just as as an exercise in action set pieces, it is fun. Like, yes, we don't get the hit monkey that you see on the cover. That's a little bit of false advertising. But right. that that's what he looks like in the Deadpool issues. Yes. Uh, which uh, and so the monkey wearing the suit and tie with the guns. It's also pretty clear he's a parody of. Agent 47 from the Hitman video games. I will take your word for that. Um, I just posted a picture in the Zoom chat. Okay, that's fair. Like, the the visual style, the, yeah. I mean, also that he's Hitmonkey instead of Hitman. Yeah. But it kind of shows what comics are best at. You get this utterly ridiculous character. Yes. It's also a little bit like um, a spoof on comics like like the G.I. Joe Snake Eyes issue that was dialogue-free. This one obviously isn't dialogue-free, but you similarly have a silent protagonist. It's just in this case, he's a monkey, and that makes it a little bit goofy. The one problem I have, and it's a problem I have with modern comics, is I could honestly have just read the dialogue, like the caption balloons, and that would be a summary of this issue. Sure. Well, and especially because this one is so sparse. Like, again, it's it's... It is more about action and visuals and and the punchline, I guess you'd say. So there is just less to summarize. But it it's kind of goes to the to the the problem I have with some modern comics, mm-hmm. where they want to show you and tell you. Right. It, it's it like I, I said. There's a lot of like verbiage in the the comic. You could do without almost all of these narrative the caption boxes. Oh yeah. Like, I, everything that the caption boxes spell out for you can be inferred from the visual. Yes. In part because the art is actually very good, and and the characters are expressive, and I don't need a caption box to get inside the hit monkey's head, because in any given panel, his expression and body language is telling me everything I need to know. Yeah. The, the, the artist does a very good job. Uh, there are a few things here that I think are very nice. For example, the the monkey never sees the hitman pick up a gun. Right. The monkey never sees right. the hitman fire a gun. He learns to use the gun from watching the the evil army dudes kill his tribe. Right, right. Also, um, we regularly see the assassin in full suit in Hot Springs. Yes. Which my first thought was, wouldn't his gun get wet? <laughs> Ooh, 
That makes sense, actually. His gun might not fire. It's possible. That could be how they get the drop on him. Okay. Sorry. Or or it could be in the duffel bag he was carrying. Well, yeah, I think I like I think the rest of his duffel bag is just full of guns. Yeah. Um, and of course the other duffel bag was full of explosives, as the evil right, army dudes right. found out. Uh, and and not the money that he claimed that it was. No, no. And it was controlled by his calculator watch. He's cool. Yeah, his calculator watch. And he still thinks that digital watches are a pretty neat idea. <laughs> When that's a shout out to Andy Leyland right there. <laughs> With apologies to Douglas Adams. Well. Uh but yeah, it's it's not bad. It's it, it's just light. It's Yeah, skim. no, it, it 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 is what the Brits would call light entertainment. Yes. But, uh, not character heavy, but just a few fun action set pieces. Yes. Um and, and again, the character does go on to appear in a fair amount of other stuff. Um, as I mentioned, there's the three-issue Deadpool arc, and then he gets his own solo miniseries that ran for three issues. Um, he Actually, we may end up talking about Hitmonkey again in the future, um, because he becomes a member of the Howling Commandos. Of course he does. Um, and then he also, as part of the Howling Commandos, helps old man Logan rescue Jubilee from Dracula. Which is a sentence that makes sense, I assure you. Oh no, it does. I I, I know what you're talking about, kinda. <laughs> is that before or after Jubilee had the baby? Um before, I think. Okay. But I'm not sure. Because I remember at one point she was struggling with being a mother and being a vampire. Yes. And I forget what order those things happened in. It's X-Men. <laughs> she got better. Yes. I mean, as yes. far as the, you know, not the, the vampire, vampire part. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if she's no longer a mother. I who knows. Ever since they went to Krakoa, things got weird. I, I haven't read. And an that's X-Men. saying something when it's the X Men. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read an X Men issue since Children of the Atom. I've, I've is, read a handful here and there, but it's a very long time for me. Yeah. Um, Considering I oh. got into comics with Executioner song. Right. Right. Uh, Hitmonkey is also uh, an unlockable character in Lego Marvel Super Heroes 2. Oh. In which his dialogue is translated by Gwenpool. Nice. So he makes monkey noises and Gwenpool says what they mean. (laughs) Anyway, that's Hitmonkey. Yeah. It's what comics do best. I just wish there was more of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess there is. This is essentially the, the prelude to that Deadpool arc. Right. Like... This is something you would get for free comic book day. Sure, it it sure. felt like a free comic book day comic. And I get that it was originally a uh, digital first. But I'm just like... It, it does feel short. And I don't know if that's because of how quickly paced it is or if it actually is a, a lower page count. I'm not sure. Uh, it is 24. So okay. if anything, so it, that that is fairly robust. Right. It, it's just that... It's it's light on dialogue and has lots of action set pieces that move quickly. Yeah, but yeah. Oh. But again, like like you said, it's it's. I probably would have been, I probably would have been disappointed if I'd bought just this one issue as a one shot off off the rack. You know, um, now maybe if I was picking it up and the first issue of the Deadpool arc at the same time, maybe. Mm-hmm. But but it, 
it seems a little bit misleading to call this a one shot when it's so clearly leading into the rest of that story. Yeah, it's just but but it's fun. I mean, it's hard for me to hate on a book that the whole point is to have a monkey with a gun. Which usually be would be called for people like, oh, shit, 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 put it down, put it down, oh, God, put it down. <laughs> now now I'm thinking of, like, the, the eight from, or the primate from uh, Nope. I haven't seen that. Oh, well, there's a sequence involving uh, a primate in Nope. Um, I, I really need to watch Nope. It's good. It's good. It, it's, it's, it's on my Peacock queue. Yes. To watch. It's worth it. checking out. And, and again, is appropriate for March of the Apes. There you go. <laughs> um, so is that is that all we've got on Hitmonkey? I feel like that's all we've got on Hitmonkey. But, Trey, the March of the Apes must continue. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Defenders Never 21 after these messages. Hello and welcome to the Shameless Picture Show. I am your host, Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is fellow writer and filmmaker, Nick Richards. So, Nick, what is a Shameless? Have you ever been at a party or hanging with friends and somebody brings up a beloved film that you have not seen? Oh, yeah, all the time. It's to- it's, I'm always like, oh, totally, I've, I've totally seen that. I love that part where the thing happens and all the stuff that you're talking about is fantastic. <laughs> exactly. So all those films, the classics that you should have seen but never got around to, you write them down, that's your shame list. So what we do is on each episode, we pick a movie from one of our shame lists. We both watch it, well, at least we try to, and we discuss <laughs> the film as a fresh viewer. Well, one of us is usually a fresh viewer. The other may have already seen it, I guess, making them a stale viewer. <laughs> yes, but that's not always the case. Wordplay! <laughs> there is always a little bit of shame list crossover. Uh, we should turn our shame list into like a Venn diagram and see where the crossover I completely is. agree. I think that would work out well. <laughs> so we typically release one of these deep dive episodes a month, and we try to release a second monthly episode that is sometimes another deep dive, and sometimes it's more of a topical episode. So find us on most major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Libsyn. And as we say on the shame list, if you don't like that, I've got two words for you. Watch, Watch movies. movies. Coming to video. The Mighty Kong. The kid-friendly animated musical version of the classic story of King Kong. A truly epic film. It's got laughter. It's got tears. Mystery and fears. From deep in the jungles of a remote island, the mighty Kong is captured and brought to New York. Kong escapes with the beautiful Anne Darrow and leads the police on a sensational chase, ending high atop the Empire State Building. Put that girl down at once! Featuring the voice talents of Dudley Moore and Jody Benson, Disney's Little Mermaid. She's Kids will go ape for the fun-filled songs by the Academy Award-winning songwriters of Mary Poppins, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Jungle Book, and the Aristocats. I love it! The whole family will love this mighty musical adventure, The Mighty Kong, from Warner Brothers Family Entertainment. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Our next issue for today is The Defenders, Volume 1, Number 21. The cover date on this is March of 1974. Yes, no, sorry, March 1975. (laughs) And our creative team 
is uh, Steve Gerber, writer, Sal Bashima, penciler, Sal Trapani, inker, George Russos, colorist, and John Costanza, letterer. Our editor is Lynn Ween. We start off with Ben Grimm, the ever-loving blue-eyed thing, making a very hasty exit from the book, which yep. is a shame, um, as Doctor Strange and Nighthawk wave goodbye from the ground below. Meanwhile, inside, Valkyrie has rediscovered more of her past. At this point in the Defenders, for what it's worth, uh, Valkyrie does not remember anything of the human being she used to be. Um, this was because of a spell cast by the Enchantress. Um, and so they have found, I guess, her family home. And she is flipping through a photo album, learning about all of these memories that she no longer has, um, including the information that she, in fact, was married. Yep. Um, Doctor Strange and Nighthawk are both concerned about her and want to help. Um, but she says what she needs first is to find her husband that she does not remember, and that's something that she really needs to do alone. Nighthawk is upset by this because he actually had a huge crush on Valkyrie and is very angry that she is going off to find the husband she didn't know she had, which seems like a jerk move on Nighthawk's part. Um, Doctor Strange offers moral support and agrees to accompany her if she desires that. Meanwhile, elsewhere, a group of kids are playing outside, uh, they are jumping rope and Hulk pauses. the Incredible Hulk pauses uh, because he's entertained by the children playing. Uh, and he tells uh, the little girl that uh, her jumping is not as good as Hulk's, but Hulk is not as pretty as she is. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, the parents freak out because, oh, my gosh, it's a giant green monster attacking our children. Um, and so the dad who apparently has never watched the news before and has never seen what the Hulk can do to people, charges at the Hulk and immediately is knocked backward. Hulk gets angry at this attack and he begins smashing things. He destroys the family's house um, and upsets the, the children um, who tell Hulk that he is not nice because he broke their house and he hurt daddy. Hey, to, this, to be fair to Hulk, this house is not earthquake rated. Clearly not. Like, it crumbles into a pile of wood. Yeah, it crumbles like a house of cards. Right, right. Um, but the criticism from the children makes Hulk cry, and so he jumps away. As others rush to, to help the, the family, um, across the street, a mysterious figure with an odd gait and strange body language uh, creeps into another house, Um thinking that he's glad that all the others are distracted rather than paying attention to him. His name is Nagin, we find out, and his partner, Jerry, is working on an experiment in a, a makeshift lab inside the house. Um, Jerry has a weird, melty face, um, but we don't really know why, and Nagin tells him that if the experiment is complete, that they already have a test subject ready. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> Uh, we jump back to Doctor Strange and Valkyrie uh, as they approach uh, what seems to be the home of her husband. And the a woman at the door immediately uh, stops Barbara Valkyrie in her tracks and tells her to go away, that she has ruined uh, her husband's life, uh, Jack, uh, and he's not there. And even if 
even if she knew where Jack was, she wouldn't tell Valkyrie uh, because she essentially accuses Valkyrie of being a gold digger out to uh, get some of Jack's money from his inheritance. Uh, So Valkyrie rushes away in shock. Doctor Strange comforts her. And meanwhile, in the city, New York City, to be precise, Nighthawk flies home, uh, musing about Valkyrie and his ex-girlfriend, whose name I believe is Trixie, Trixie Star, who just so happens to be in his apartment, his penthouse, when he walks in. Um, She sees him in his full Nighthawk costume, and so he reveals everything about his identity and his membership with the Defenders. We then jump uh, to the to Greenwich Village, where a now human Bruce Banner stumbles into the Sanctum Sanctorum. Uh, Doctor Strange and Clea rush over to help, and uh, Banner passes out in an armchair. A few hours later, Negan and his accomplice Jerry meet up with. Chandu the Mystic, and uh, the uh, Negan reveals himself to be the villainous Gorilla Man. Um, he takes off uh, the sort of smock that was covering his chest, and his body is a gorilla's body. Uh, it turns out that Doctor Negan had worked on organ transplants um, using apes as test subjects, but the apes gained human intelligence and learned to do surgery themselves. And so they grafted Negan's head onto a gorilla body, thus Gorilla Man. Uh, Makes sense. Jerry, uh, who in this issue is never called by his code name, I don't think, um, no. had been doing experiments in cellular compression even before Hank Pym was. And those experiments ended in his disfiguration, causing the melty face. And it turns out that Negan and Jerry have created a serum that will have some sort of special effect on Chandu because Chandu has psychic powers. They inject Chandu's skull in what looks like an incredibly painful injection. Yeah. And and Chandu's psychic powers suddenly begin affecting every person asleep in New York City. That includes Trixie, Nighthawk's girl, ex-girlfriend, Maybe still girlfriend. It's not clear, but she flies into a rage. It's like sleepwalking, but angry. This also causes the sleeping Bruce Banner to transform into the Hulk, who also is still asleep, but is raging and smashing everything in sight. Uh, Valkyrie tries to stop him, but is knocked away. Uh, and Nagan, the gorilla man, takes advantage of the chaos to steal a bunch of jewels from a jewelry store. He returned, uh, he makes it to the rooftop with his loot, and Nighthawk sees him and tries to attack, and is shocked to see that Negan has the body of a gorilla. Um, he knocks Nighthawk down and runs away, and meanwhile, everyone is starting to wake up from their slumber because Shandu's powers have worn off. Um, Hulk apologizes to Valkyrie, and Nighthawk tells Doctor Strange about. Uh, the the ape man thief that he tried to stop. And then the story just kind of ends without our heroes ever really fighting our villains. And no, this is not part one of a two-parter because the next issue uh, brings in, I believe, the Serpent Society. Yeah, it's... This feels very much like a transitional issue. 
Like, right. We definitely get all subplots are accounted for yep. here. Yep. Uh, this actually carries on from an issue of Marvel two and one, which then carries on to defenders and then carries on into this issue, which is why the thing was there. Right. Right. I, I wish he had stayed. Everything is better with Ben Grimm. Right. If he had been around, he would have at least said something funny on every page. Yes. Also, we could have gotten a Thing Hulk fight. Yes. Yes. Like Sleeping Hulk versus Thing. Right. That'd have been fun. So, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but uh, the reason we picked this issue is because it features the villain Arthur Nagin, codenamed Gorilla Man, and that's Gorilla Hyphen Man. Yes. Keep that in mind. He's hyphenated. It will be important later. Um, he is the gorilla man with a hyphen. Uh, this team is such that it is, is the headmen. Yeah. Um, and oh, they don't call themselves that here, nor does Nagin call himself the gorilla man here. Nope. Um, and Nagin is an old uh, character from the 50s. Yeah. Uh, from from the Atlas comic days. Yeah. He first appeared in... I thought I had it up, but okay. Uh, it's Mystery it. Tales number 21. Mystery Tales number 21. And his compatriots... Jerry Morgan. Who is called Shrunken Bones, first appeared in World of Fantasy... Number 11 from December of 1957. And Shandu the Mystic first appeared in Tales of Suspense, number 9 from December 1959. So these are all three Fantastic Four number one characters. Right, right. Yeah, this is before the height of the Silver Age that, right. that uh, sort of inaugurated, well, I guess... Not even Silver Age. This is pre-Marvel Age of Comics. Because that, that was how Stan Lee liked to refer to it, right? Was the Fantastic Four inaugurated the Marvel Age. Yeah. These were all Atlas Comics characters. Right, right. Which and is a theme we will see in our next issue as well. That's true. That's true. Um, and I don't know. I, I think I would have liked the issue better if our heroes had actually in any way encountered our villains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we get a brief encounter between Nighthawk, one of the most boring superheroes known to mankind, uh, and the Gorilla Man, which ends in a backhanding, and that's it. Yep, yep. Um, also, uh, I, I didn't mention it in my summary, but uh, in in the, the bit where everyone is, all the sleeping people are becoming rage monsters, um, Trixie rushes out toward the ledge of the balcony where Nighthawk is standing, and to get her to stop, Nighthawk pulls a Hank Pym. He, he slaps her. Yeah. Not great. Yeah. No. So, I, I am curious about your opinion on this. Is Kyle Richman one of the most boring Marvel characters ever created? So, I have to admit, I've not read much that he's in. At least not, like, where he's, like, highlighted a whole lot. Um, I, yeah, kinda. Like, so, now, I'm not great on the history of Nighthawk, but he is the He's Earth... A, he, he goes back to Squadron Supreme, or Squadron Sinister, or something like that. Well, no, isn't he, he's the 
Earth 616 version. Well, right. But I, I, guess, well, I guess what I'm saying is like that's where the concept originates. Yeah. So we meet the Squadron Sinister version. We meet the Squadron Supreme version. And then it's revealed, oh, there's a 616 version as well. And he's decided to become a superhero. Because there, there ends up being a 616 Squadron Sinister in the late 60s. One of our listeners, you, you know, one of our listeners is a huge Nighthawk fan. And, and is screaming at us right now for not knowing his history. No, but you know what? You can write us. That's right. We, we will read your I, angry rant on the air. I, I just know that for a long time he was in the Defenders because there was an open slot on the team. Yes. Like they and needed he, they needed someone with with a fairly generic superhero power set. Yes. And so they strength, need, stamina, durability, all that. They needed a more pathetic Batman. Basically. With with, with a jetpack. He's actually more powerful than Batman. He is, because he has superpowers. Yes. And I think modern writers and even artists have kind of leaned more into the Batman-ness. They have, for sure. It, it was less obvious, weirdly, in his early appearances where where the, the parallel was more direct in terms of like we're doing our we're doing our rivals characters but making them evil <laughs> um uh, I and feel i guess like... he's become more of a deal again because they did that uh heroes reborn uh event recently that brought back squadron supreme which i do i do want to read that actually yeah i i've been meaning to we, we should let's put it on the list because it's a blade comic okay it's on the list because Blade is a central character in that arc. Okay. So, I think if I had been reading Defenders mm. and ha- was more invested in this, in this cast, like we're saying, we, we barely know who Nighthawk is. Right. Well, we, and, and so so much of this book is devoted to the Valkyrie subplot. Mm-hmm. And, and having not read the previous issues, this is a difficult subplot to jump into in Medius Race. Yes. I, I mean, I... I realize that I've read the issues that came before this because right. of Fantastic Cast. Sure, because thing. Yeah, because things there. But like, if I didn't have that prior knowledge from reading this like two or three years ago, I would be completely and utterly lost. Yeah, this is a this it, is a weird comic for a kid to just pick off the newsstand. Which, yeah, it's also just disappointing in that like I am a big Doctor Strange fan. And he does almost nothing in this issue. Okay. Um, I'll come back to that in a second. Because <laughs> I have observation there. But uh-huh. why Why would a kid pick this one up off the newsstand? Because, Trey, this cover is boring. It's a bad cover. So, and I, I joked about this with you before we recorded. But if this, if a cover artist handed in this cover at DC Comics, he would have been fired. Because yeah. they have... They have a villain who's part gorilla, and there is no gorilla <laughs> character on that cover. Yeah, like hit monkey number one, monkey on the cover. Yeah. Uh, what if number nine haven't got to it yet? Monkey on the cover. Yeah. Defenders twenty one, no monkey, no money. Right. You put a monkey on the cover. The kid picks up the book and buys it. That's science. Yeah. It, it's it, it's it's proven. Uh, in fact, if you are on our Twitter. Um, I actually posted a video from Comic Tropes where he looks at the DC history of slapping monkeys on the cover. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
and it it was it, it never really caught on at Marvel, but it was a proven uh, money making tool for DC to the point, Trey, where they yeah. were restricted to only doing one per month. Right, because you can't oversaturate it. That that ends up diluting the power of the cover monkey. Yes. <laughs> well, well, now I want to look at look at the rest of the March 1975 covers and see if anybody else had a monkey on the cover. So let's go to right. D- um, Mike's Amazing World. Yep. And this is what March. Yeah, I believe so. I had it pulled up here. Give me just a second. Um, did I close it? Why would I close it? It was 1975, and I believe it's March. Yeah, March 75. Nope. None. Um. Oh, sorry. I have it as on sale on. Hold on. Cover dated March 75. There we go. Um, let's see. Um, we've got Mysterio and Spider-Man. We've got um, Captain America, America looking dead on Captain America. We've got yeah. Conan. We've got Dracula Lives number 11. We've got Silver Surfer and Foom. We've got Iron Fist and Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. Uh, nope, that's not a gorilla. That's just a big giant looking dude in, um, Daredevil. Uh, we've got Frankenstein versus the Nightmares. Not, nope, no monkey in Kazar. No monkey in Man Thing. Um, no monkey in Marvel Team Up. Iron Fist in Marvel Team Up. That's fun. Um, let's see. Oh, wait. Yeah. Um, Planet of the Apes number six. There you go. There yeah. you go. So. Um, those damn dirty apes uh, <laughs> stole the Defenders monkey cover. Fair enough. Although, does a magazine really count? Um, no. <laughs> so, you're right. Waste opportunity. But, yeah, I mean, I... We don't really... So, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I wish Roy Thomas had edited this issue. Okay. Because, at the introduction of each of those 50s villains, he would have put an editor's note explaining who they were. <laughs> You're not wrong. Citing chapter and verse of which 50s comic they 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 originated in. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That that's what that's what's missing from this issue in terms of bringing in those characters is Roy Thomas's sort of encyclopedic knowledge of that era of comics. And what's so, missing from the story is our heroes and villains actually fighting. We don't even get like a recap of what happened past issue. Why the thing is here? No, not at all. In this comic, no. It's just we see him leaving. Yeah, Lynn Wein, evidently a very hands-off editor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. So you mentioned like Doctor Strange not doing much in this issue. Yep. Not only does he not do much, when he does do something, it does not help at all. For example, right. it was it would have been easy. For him to, you know, magic up a regular suit when they visit the boarding house mm-hmm. and explain that, hey, this woman is a patient of mine. She has amnesia. She's right, trying right. to recover parts of her life. Um, and been like, Can you be a decent person and help with that? Yeah. But no, he's like full sorcerer supreme, uh, Kate and all that. And she's like, um, does she That's even acknowledge all- that Strange is there? Yeah, she's like security. That so sorry, I, I need to voice security. That's all you're after for when you ain't pretty no more and you ain't got no fancy pants New York artist like this one to take care of you. Oh right. So she's like because he's because he's a Greenwich Village eccentric. Yep. 
It's just like Doctor Strange, some goddamn hippie. Uh, there you go. Um, and then, of course, the one time he does try to use his powers, um, Chandu's psychic energy is creating magical static in the air, interfering with his ability to cast spells. Yes. Yeah. It's like it, it, it's a transitional issue. Like it is connective tissue connecting bigger stories. And I'm sure <laughs> that if, if we were reading an issue of Essential Defenders... Or a right. th- a Defender's Omnibus. This would be like, yeah, this is fun. Oh, they're developing a subplot. But just picking up as a grab bag issue. Oh, boy. Right. I-, I expected there to be at least the suggestion that a conflict will come next issue. And no. it doesn't. No. Now, and yet, so the last panel kind of suggests that it might. Yep. But then, have we heard the last of him? Or has all this been but a prelude to the weirdest menace we've ever faced? Well, prelude, yes, but not to the next issue. No. Um, in fact, it, is, it takes ten issues to return to this plot. Wow. The, the headman, appear, Arthur Nagin, appears in Defenders 21. He does not appear in a single comic again until Defenders 31. Wow. Now, that kicks off a multi-issue arc. Okay. But why are there ten issues between this one and that one? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. But we picked this one. Probably <laughs> the more standalone story would have been uh, Negan and the Headman, I think, appear in the first Defenders Annual. Mm. That might have been a better standalone story. We went with this one because it is the first uh, Marvel appearance of the villainous gorilla man. It is his first, it is his reintroduction to comics, which, you know, that's got to mean something, right? Yeah. Let's go. Yes. (laughs) Um, picking it without having read it. Uh, it seemed like it would mean more than it ended up, but I don't know. I still do like the goofy design of the ape body and the human head. Uh, he looks like he ought to be hanging out with DC's ultra humanite. Absolutely. So, that being said, let's go ahead and take another break. Right. And we'll resume with our last issue, Marvel What If, number nine, What If the Avengers Had Fought Evil During the 1950s? Right after these messages. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Dom. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products. Frozen and thrown to the deepest regions of space, NASA's first chimp is brought back to life and given superior intelligence. Together with his elite team of warriors, they battle against the evil Nebula and his deadly creature, Rhesus. Prepare to meet Captain Simeon and the Space Monkey, a brand new series coming soon to CIEV. Welcome back to Believers. Our last issue this episode is Marvel What If number nine. What if the Avengers had fought evil? During the 1950s. 
Our cover is uh, the classic Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor in the background. But in the foreground, we have a collection of strangely garbed figures who we will soon find out are uh, Venus, Marvel Boy, 3D Man, the Human Robot, and Trey, right there on the goddamn cover. The way God intended. The Gorilla Man. Now, again, this one is... Well, now there, that's weird. It has a hyphen. It's hyphened. I thought thought one was hyphenated, the other wasn't. Uh, Maybe in more recent tellings. That's possible. I'll let you look into that, and I'll do a summary. So... Yeah. Um, we come in with our friend, the Watcher, looking like he has hit the Twinkies. Uh, Watcher, you know, oof, I'm never a fan of Chunky Watcher. He looks very off-model here. Very off-model. But um, In he- fact, uh, later on, when you see him full body, it's almost like the Kingpin put on a Watcher costume. Oh. Yes, Mr. Fisk is very nice cosplay, Mr. Fisk. Please don't kill, don't please don't kill with a car door, Mr. Fisk. But yeah, <laughs> so the Watcher is doing what he does best. He's watching. He's watching the Avengers. Um, they are having a meeting. Iron Man has called Thor, the Beast, the Vision, and Captain America to a laboratory because he is looking through the dimensional transporter that brought the Squadron Supreme to their world before, and they are watching a world where it's very clearly the 1950s, with a great splash page there. I should mention, the artist on this issue is Alan Kupperberg and Bill Black. The script is by Don Glute. Letter is Tom Orgachowski. Uh, colors are by Carl Gafford. And concept and editing are Roy Thomas. But we are start our actual story in San Francisco of the late 1950s, where FBI agent James Wu is being pursued by a motorcycle gang called the Black Dragons. James Wu is rescued by the 3D Man, who uh, first appeared in a Marvel premiere issue number 35, written by Roy Thomas. Uh... Uh, the two are soon joined by Marble Boy, who appears on the scene to read the mind of the now unconscious Black Dragon gang members, who reveals that they have been hypnotized by the Yellow Claw. I mean, Jimmy Woo's here. It's definitely the Yellow Claw. Come on, guys. Right, right. And we get a little bit of backstory on the Yellow Claw. No mention of the fact he's Yellow Peril race baiting, but okay. And there. Um, we learned that Jimmy Woo is also assembling a team and he sends off Marble Boy to accomplish the next part of that task. And that is going to the jungle with Jan of the jungle. And there they find the gorilla man who once was a big game hunter who uh, looked for the legendary talking gorilla, not realizing that by killing the talking gorilla, you become the talking gorilla. Meanwhile, Jimmy Woo and 3D Man go and visit Namora, the sea woman who has paused her search for Namor, her cousin, to lead them to the living robot. Uh, they reprogram the living robot with the help of Venus, the goddess of love, to make him a willing member 
of the team. We also get some backstory on Marvel Boy, who his father was a scientist who, after the rest of their family was killed by the Nazis, took his young son to the planet Uranus, where he grew up and acquired the abilities of Marvel Boy. Um, the living robot had been built by a scientist, but was programmed to kill that scientist by a rival scientist before short-circuiting and ending up in the water. And Venus, well, she is the goddess of love, just like she sounds. And for those of you who didn't pick up Marvel premiere number 35, shame on you, we get the backstory of Chuck Chandler, who uh, has the ability to combine with his younger brother to form... 3D man, a person with three times his strength. This crazy cast of characters assembles at a warehouse where they um, are given their mission to find and defeat the Yellow Claw. But the Yellow Claw is one step ahead because he has assembled his own team of strangely garbed characters. We have Skullface, uh, the Russian Electro. The Cold Warrior, um, the Great Video, the Man with X-Ray Vision. And these characters assembled together to kidnap Dwight Eisenhower. <laughs> Apparently, they don't like Ike. But Jimmy Woo tags along um, and is able to radio the team with the help of the Yellow Claw's niece, Suan, who has a little bit of a crush in our pal jimmy here the team breaks in to the yellow claws underground uh lair there's some fighty fight and the team is victorious saving dwight eisenhower who then turns around and tells them that they must keep their team secret and never operate together again and of course we are left wondering whether or not this adventure happens in another universe or actually happens in our own Earth 616. You know, Trey, we may never find out. Right, right. A <laughs> um, couple things right off the bat. Um, just me, or does Eisenhower look a little bit like Bob Hope playing Eisenhower? Oh, wow. <laughs> Like maybe that's just the the golfing attire, but I mean, I I, I see what you mean there. Yeah, except I don't think Bob I don't I don't think Bob Hope would have made fun of Eisenhower like this. Probably not. Probably because not. it's it's not who doesn't, Bob doesn't Hope. fit his King of the USO image. No, no. Um. So yeah, let's talk about that artwork because that splash page of the 1950s is a lot of fun. It is. It is. Of course, I think that might be the best art in the issue. Probably. Um, and, and it just sort of, it hits all the buttons, right? Like, you've got, uh, uh, like, Ike and Nixon, you've got Elvis, you've got... Uh, McCarthy, you got Khrushchev. Yeah, uh, 3D movies. Yep. Uh, Lucy and Desi. Yep. So, wait, on your copy, are the 3D glasses in the splash page, are they, are they just green? They are. Okay, because this is obviously a, re, uh, a modern recoloring um, for the digital version. I'm really wondering if in the original issue, the glasses are, are you know, red and blue. Maybe. Um, so there was 3D at that time that did not use the anaglyph, the, the red and, and green. 
Um, mm-hmm. It was probably less common because it was more expensive, mm-hmm. um, but it did exist. But yeah, I, I would guess that's probably a coloring error. Yeah. Um, and maybe why someone went in and added 3D to the front of the glasses so that you would know what they were. Possible. Possible. But, you know, the, the rest of the the rest of the art is not terrible. Right. I mean, regrettable racism aside. Sometimes. But, I, I mean, um, there's a reason, like, Yellow Claw is later revealed to be an alien. Right, right. It just sort of sidesteps a lot of the... Because the... So, Yellow Claw and Jimmy Woo and uh, Yellow Claw's niece are all characters from the 50s, as all of these are. But, but it was essentially Atlas Comics, predecessor to Marvel, ripping off Fu Manchu. Yeah. Um, because that, that triangle of the, the investigator hunting uh, the crime boss while also having an affair with the crime boss's either niece or daughter or whatever, that's straight out of the Sax Romer stories. Yeah. To the point where at, at one point wasn't um, Shang-Chi um, rebooted to be the, the like a descendant of the Yellow Claw rather than Fu Manchu? Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I, I I will go out and say that I really like this issue. It's a good issue, yeah. It, especially, it doesn't lean hard on the nostalgia of bringing in all these old characters. It, it treats no. them as sort of vital characters worthy of having a new story told, not just sort of doing what they did back then. And that's nice. I do like that we do get Jan of the Jungle here, you know, helping find Gorilla Man. I like that we right. have Namora helping find the living robot. Those are all fun. Yes. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, to give me just a small bit of vindication, in his original 50s appearance, uh, the heroic Gorilla Man is two words with no hyphen. Gorilla space man. Okay, Trey. <laughs> It so, is also funny that that he like essentially still has his human haircut. <laughs> he's like, he's he's got some of that man wolf flow from uh, from the issue of uh, Marvel premiere we read with Mummy and the Monkey. Grim and yes, Janet. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where the Jameson haircut intensifies when he's in wolf form, right? And uh, just to uh, just to give the quick rundown, uh, some of these are mentioned in the issue, but uh, uh, Gorilla Man first appeared in uh, Mystery Tale. No, not Mystery Tale. Um, Men's Adventures number 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, M11, the human robot, uh, first appeared in Menace number 11. Yep. Uh, Robert Grayson, Marvel Boy, was in Marvel Boy number one from 1950. One. Uh, Marvel's Venus, originally Atlas's Venus, was in Venus number one from 1948. Maybe the oldest character out of the the heroes that we have. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Woo was in Yellow Claw number one in 1956. Um, And Jan of the Jungle, um, I believe, was 1954. Well, no, I mean, wouldn't Namora be the, the youngest the oldest character? Oh, I think you're right, because that would be World War II as well. Um, yeah, uh, Nomura was in Marvel Mystery Comics 82 from May of 47. Okay. So only just go. beats out Venus by a year. Okay, fine. Um, and 3D Man is sort of the newcomer here. He's actually a Marvel character 
uh, retroactively inserted into the Atlas Age. I love his design. So I first saw these characters in Avengers Forever. Right. Where the time-traveling Avengers uh, are um, stuck in the 1950s, and they encounter these characters calling themselves the Avengers, who are these characters. And that's right. the first time this adventure was revisited, you know, since this issue was published in 1978. Yeah, that sounds right. But since then, these characters have all become the Ages of Atlas, and it has been firmly confirmed that this story takes place in the 616 universe. Right. And, and um, well, that gets complicated, because then the 2006 Agents of Atlas book basically said that roughly these events happened, but 3D Man wasn't part of it. Why no 3D Man? Uh, because he he was a 70s retcon. He wasn't an action. Like they, uh, Jeff Parker wanted the Agents of Atlas book to all be characters actually from the 40s and 50s. So he's not in the, the actual Agents, Agents of Atlas spinoff book. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, and I, I actually really like the second 3D Man too, uh, Triathlon, who takes on the 3D Man name after uh, the original retires. Yes. But I, I feel bad now that you're telling me that 3D Man gets cut out of the story. Well, uh, so I think I think that the retcon of the retcon is that in Avengers Forever, they don't actually travel through time. They travel to an alternate history. Okay. And so 3D Man is still a part of that story. Because I really like his costume. Yeah, it's a good look. It's a really good look. And I love the concept. You know, he puts on this pair of 3D glasses and boom, I'm a superhero. Yep. And I like uh, later on when they establish that, that the goggles also allow you to see through like disguises like he can he can see scrolls for what they are no matter yep. what form they take yep it's, it's um, good stuff the villains in this book are fascinating but like setting aside the yellow claw stuff like the the actual like team of villains is fascinating yes like the the 1950s commie electro right right uh ivan kronoff who was yep. originally a 50s Captain America villain. So this was from... Yeah, so this is from the the time after Steve Rogers fell into the ice, which is a retcon. Um, And so it's when Captain America was not Steve Rogers and was fighting communism. Yeah. It was the school teacher Captain America, right? The one where he's a school teacher and he finds a student that kind of looks like Bucky, so he tries to make him Bucky. Um, Right. And that was John Ramita. John Romita drawing those issues. Yeah, yeah. So pre Amazing Spider-Man, John Romita, and and we've got uh, Skullface, <laughs> who has probably one of the weirder origins of any of those because he's apparently the skeleton of a demon that was resurrected by electricity. Even he says, I, "I'm the skeleton of an alleged demon." You're like, you don't know. Right. It's bad when he is saying alleged about himself. <laughs> and oh, the great video just cracks me up because it's just a dude in a dinner jacket yep. with a dominant mask we, and a cape. Yep. And uh, and so he has x-ray vision, but also if he looks at you too long, it kills you. I mean, that's any x-ray. Just, you know. Sure. Sure. And yeah, so he had one appearance in... Uh, a timely comic featuring Marvel Boy. Yeah. Who's in Mystic number six? Now I want to know. 
Mystic number six? Yeah, I'm curious now. Yeah. Hold on. Do, 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 do. Who is... Mystic Comics number six. Skullface. That is not helpful. Mm-hmm. See, you're saying his first appearance is what if number nine here? Who? Uh, Skullface. Oh, so that's because he is the alternate history version. Oh, God damn they it. They consider it a separate Earth. Oh, God damn it to hell. <laughs> um... Uh, I have no idea who's in Mystic Comics number six. Where is that? What page is that on? Sorry, it's Mystery Tales number six. Oh, okay. So Mystery Tales number six is Skullface. Yeah, it's just Skullface. You're right. He's not fighting any superhero. He's just there. You go. Yep. He's the antagonist of the the story, but that's sounds like it's one of those sort of uh, horror anthology type stories where. The, the gimmick is the whole draw. So, yeah, um, as we kind of mentioned before, this and our previous issue, Defenders number 21, makes a habit of bringing back character, almost one-off characters from the 1950s right. to populate the story. Um, right. In, in that comic, they're, bring, they're populating the headmen, and in this story, they're populating Yellow Claw's evil group. Uh, but, yeah, that, that you can, like, the difference between this issue and the Defenders issue is Roy Thomas. Like, that that's sort of what it comes down to. Now, he didn't write this issue, but he's credited for the concept, and he was the overall editor, and I think his influence as editor and as sort of the, the originator of the concept is felt throughout the comic because he is someone, as we know from personal experience, who is very, <laughs> who is very attached to sort of the history of Marvel Comics and, and making sure that these characters from previous eras are not forgotten. Oh, yeah. Definitely. He, it's really a... Um, Mr. Thomas has a habit of, if I can bring this character from, like, the Golden Age back, I will. I mean, even, like, the Vision is a reimagining of a Golden Age hero. Right. He's sort of doing the, the Hal Jordan to the original Vi- Vision's Alan Scott. Yes. And... And it's a credit to, to Roy and also to the creative team, Don Glutt and Kupperberg and, and Bill Black, that each of it, it's a huge cast of characters in this issue, but everybody gets their moment to shine. Like everybody gets to do something significant and memorable. And I think this is the only issue of the ones we've talked about in this grab bag that feels like a complete story. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other the other two even though one is a one-shot, ostensibly, and the other does not connect to the issue that immediately comes after, or the next nine issues that immediately come after, this is the only one that, that actually gets everything done. That, you know, you hit the end, and it feels like an ending. Right. Like, you know, I think the barometer we use a lot on the show, we talked about last time, is can a kid pick up this issue on a road trip and be happy with it? I would say yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the one weird thing structurally with this story is it's got a frame narrative within a frame narrative. Yes. And that's because a little it's odd. Like, <laughs> it's like, hey, we're going to put this in what if. We need to fit the Watcher in somehow. Right. Like, but what that means gonna... is we have, the, we have the Watcher watching Earth 616 while the heroes of 616 are watching something on a monitor yes and it's so 
there's a thing they're lampshading here, which we'll, we'll point out here. They bring in the Avengers that most closely uh, mirror, I, I'm putting mirror in quotation marks here, the out, out of the roster they currently had of the 1950s Avengers. So, like, right. okay, Valkyrie, so not, not Valkyrie, excuse me, um, Venus, Thor, okay, um, Beast, Gorilla Man, okay, all right, Vision, Living, Living Robot, sure. Why not? Uh, 3D Man and Captain America? Eh? That's a stretch. Yeah. Iron Man and Marvel Boy. The fuck are you talking about? Like, especially since, again, um, well, I guess he might not have been around at that point. Because, as we just said, there was a 50s Captain America. Yeah. Uh, the Patriot. So, okay. Right. So, there's, there's Steve Rogers. Right. Then there's the one who's, like, capped for a year and dies. Right. And then, then I think the it's Patriot. the Patriot. Then, it's the then Patriot, there's the teacher. The one that goes crazy. Yeah. So we've established this is late 1950s. This is like 1959 almost. Right, right. right. You know, 1958, 1957. And so um, they've already put the kibbutz on crazy cap nuke, basically. Right, right. So this is an era where there isn't a Captain America. It, there won't be another, another Captain America until... Um, Steve Rogers defrosted. Right. So that makes sense. Sure. Well, and in, in the in-between there, well, not in-between, but rolling timelines are com- complicated, but um, yeah. parallel to that history of Captain America, the super soldier program continued to exist and continued to try and recreate various American super soldiers. It's worth noting here that these characters have all been brought into the 616 as, yes. a, as a team for that time. Um, it will later be revealed that there was a secret Avengers team. Oh, is that the Nick Fury team? The Nick Fury team. Yeah. It has Craven, it has Nick Fury, it has um, Bloodstone. That sounds right. Ulysses Bloodstone. Yeah. Bloodstone. The, also, with Bloodstone, there's the Monster Hunters. Right. Um, and also, uh, there is the John Byrne created first line from Marvel Lost Generation. Right, right. So the 50s retroactively became a very busy time. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to fill in that period between Captain America going in the ice and Fantastic Four number one. Right, right. Um, and, you know, the, the the weak link there in terms of making the, the connections to the present, I think you're right. 3D Man to Captain America is a stretch. But the others <laughs> are actually kind of clever. Like Human Robot to Vision, I see that. Yep. Um, I, I, that one's I have to agree with Beast that he has the better haircut. Absolutely. Especially when he's drawn by George Perez, who was the Absolutely. artist on the, on the Avengers book at this time. Yes. I but yeah, like Marvel George Boy Perez and, and Iron Man. Oh, what's that? Can you imagine George Perez for this issue? Ugh. Then it might be pretty close to perfect. Pretty pre- pretty close there, yeah. Oh. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's just fun. And, and Gorilla Man, it's funny, you mentioned Jack Russell in terms of appearance. He also kind of fills, like, he reminds me a little bit of, of Jack Russell. The the sort of uh, sarcastic attitude, um, the, the jump in first, fight some bad guys and maybe ask one or two questions later kind of approach to things. 
Of course, um, that's the Jack Russell as he appears in like the Frankencastle storyline, not the right, one that we've right. been we've been seeing in our book so far. Right. The 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 Jack Russell that we most recently encountered. Yeah. Yeah. It's that being said, you know, the art has some shortcomings. This is still a fun issue. Yeah, I, I just, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the, the two-page spread. It might be 12 to 13. That's an awful watcher. Yeah, I, I, I am on the record of being, I am not a fan of chunky watcher. That That is yeah. a chunky watcher. I like... Again, it looks like Kingpin is wearing a skirt and a corset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely prefer the big head, small body watcher. Yeah, yeah. Give it to me Kirby style. Exactly. So, okay, Trey. Um, something I thought would be fun to do with these grab bag okay. issues. We never really did do, do, didn't do it last time. Okay. What what are our two outside issues, including oh. which one which ones which ones facing facing away like facing away from the newsstand, right? And which one's the one slipped in between? Okay. So um, I was actually thinking about this earlier, uh, even though we hadn't discussed it. Um, <laughs> if you want to sell this as a three pack. Yep. Um, what if faces out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Defenders is in the middle. Yep. And hit monkeys on the back. Yep. We're completely agreement here. Um, because as we said, no kid is going to pick that up if all they see is that Defenders cover. No. No. Um, oh, who's the whereas, who's here? Oh, right. Whereas, what if? Even if it's false advertising, suggest you might get some Cap, Iron Man, and Thor action. Even if you don't know who everyone else is. They're colorful. Um, Right. Um, and Hitmonkey it has a monkey on the cover with guns. <laughs> Those yeah. are both things I can see a kid picking up. Yeah. So, okay, we're done here. Do, overall, does it seem like the 70s stuff has better covers than modern comics? Um, I think that it's a different style. Um, I do... I think there were certain trends in cover design that we both really appreciate from the 60s and 70s that I think because they were so popular at that time they sort of became played out like artists started avoiding doing them because it had become too much of a thing you know okay um, like the 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 monochrome floating heads looking down over the the different group of characters like you see here you also see this in like the really famous uh, Justice Society, Justice League covers. Uh, the very um, famous size X-Men. Right, right. Um, to, anytime you want to suggest a connection between two groups, um, sort of by association. Uh, and I think stuff like that became too much of a trope, you know, because it was used so much, artists moved away from it. And also, I think the advent of uh, digital art techniques and things like that allowed for other approaches that were just not possible back then. And so some of those older layout styles fell by the wayside in favor of things that went more toward very detailed, but often just one or two figures rather than a huge ensemble like that. I agree. And yeah, I, I miss these old covers. I do too. Like some, some of them point out, and I recently noticed the fact that like corner boxes, corner yep. boxes aren't a thing anymore. Not so and much. No. Them. So, did you see Marvel is doing a uh, line-wide uh, series of variant covers celebrating corner boxes? Yeah, I retweeted that. Yeah, and but they're they're doing it wrong because it looks like they're making the whole cover the corner box. 
yes, they're doing it absolutely wrong. That's incredibly dumb. Yes, it is. Just, just put and a corner box on that, the comic. <laughs> so that comes apparently from a tweet that was made back in 2021 by the artist Mark Brooks, who said, mm-hmm. and, I, and I've retweeted this. If you follow us on Twitter, I, you'll see this tweet. Hey, folks, this is important. I need Marvel to bring back corner boxes. More importantly, I need to draw them. I already work for them, so all you have to do is say, hey, Mark, draw corner boxes. Like, reply, and retweet. We can do this. This tweet was retweeted 1,339 times, 219 quotes, 4,757 likes. So people definitely like corner boxes, and even shows like concepts for different corner boxes. And all those corner boxes. And people are sharing their favorites and. All those corner box covers, by the way, the ones you talk about, are drawn by Mark Brooks. <laughs> so they did the thing, but they're doing it wrong. Right. Like, we we didn't ask for floating head covers. No. But, you know, good on Mark Brooks getting a paycheck. And they look great. Hey, yeah. They're, they're nice the, the, looking the, corner boxes. They look like wonderful corner boxes that would be awesome in the top left corner of a cover. Yep. Yep. Oh, well. Good effort. Good effort. Yep. Um, I, I, I like using the corner boxes when I do the covers. Yeah. They're fun. Anyway. So, yeah. Does that wrap up March of the Apes? Ooh. You know, we got to think of a better way to end these huge events than with a grab bag. It feels like a, it feels like a fizzle. So it's a little bit anticlimactic. Uh, I, I honestly expected the Defenders issue to be a little better than it was. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that that I knew it was not followed up in the next issue, which to me suggested it was a complete story. Yeah, no, no. Ten it's issues, not. man. Ten issues. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, but you know thunk. what? That, that's the definition of a grab bag. It, that, it is. That, that, is that, was, that was the one in the middle. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely the one in the middle. <laughs> oh, man. But you know what? Um, do Listeners, do you disagree with our evaluation of which one are the outside comics, which one's the one in the middle? Do you, what are your favorite grab bag comics? Do you did you ever pick one up from you know a grocery store or something? And uh, which ones are your favorites? Which ones are your least favorites? Like which one did they kind of stick you with? We we would love to hear it. Uh, you can reach us at our email address. It's tombofideas at gmail.com. As we've talked about before, we have a Twitter. It's at tombofideas. We now have an Instagram where I'm still learning how it works, but I, I post a reel, Ray. That's I, impressive. I, I, I barely I, know I, what that means. It, it, it's like a TikTok. Okay. But, you know, not but as without, popular with like, the, kids. the Chinese government spying on it? No, Mark Zuckerberg spying on it. Ah, okay. Not sure if that's better or worse, but okay. Um, uh, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's at Tomb of Ideas. We're on Facebook. Speaking of Daddy Zuckerberg, it is. You know what? No one should ever refer to Mark Zuckerberg as Daddy. <laughs> no, no. That is a term I, reserved entirely for Oscar Isaac and Pedro Pascal. Yeah, I don't think even Mark Zuckerberg's children call him Daddy. I think they call him Father <laughs> or Sir. Yes. Um, it's like 5,000. Uh, <laughs> we are on Facebook.com slash Tomb of Ideas until they hear this and delete it. 
Right, right. And of course, uh, we are wherever you found this podcast, whether it's iTunes or, or the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, but we would appreciate if you would uh, rate, review, subscribe, le- leave us some comments. Um, we, we love to hear from you. And uh, you can tell us all about why Nighthawk is your favorite character and who hurt you to make that so. <laughs> you know, I like I like the idea, but Batman is just too awesome for me. <laughs> right. Um, and of course, our entire Bat catalog is on Cinepunks.com, where we are proud members of the Cinepunks podcasting group. So make sure you check out Cinepunks.com, where you'll find all of our episodes, plus great shows like the flagship Cinepunks show, The Shameless, uh, Cinema Smorgasbord, and much, much more. That's right. So that does it for... I think at least this year's March of the Apes tray. I think I think we might have to return. Hmm. We might have to return to the March of the Apes at some point. Ooh, ooh, yeah. I mean, I do. I do love a good sequel. Yeah, or even a bad one. Uh, fair. <laughs> we we promise in ours we won't blow up the world. Or will we? <laughs> I don't know. But Are we reading any more Defenders? <laughs> Defenders does get good. I have a good authority that Defenders does get good eventually. I want to believe that, because again, I'm a big Doctor Strange fan. But until then, Tomb Believers, bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Believers, Excelsior! ha <laughs> ha